even if you didn't hear the music and saw the opening scroll, it might give it away. So I'm just going to do a little solo here and see how good my singing ends. The music goes like this. You know what that music's for? You're nodding. Star Wars, that's right. And this is the opening, this is called the opening scroll. Scrawl. And uh, don't tell Karen Kwan about that bad singing. I will get thrown out of the choir forever. This is the opening scrawl of Star Wars. And it introduces viewers to a beautiful world that some are super into and some aren't. Different people will read stories like this. Once upon a time. Once upon a time. That introduces many children's stories, doesn't it? And we mark time by different things. Think of all the ways, different ways that people mark time. Anniversaries, birthdays, high school reunions, high school graduations, the grand opening of something, the groundbreaking of something, the waiting, the waiting. When is Chick-fil-A finally coming? Amen? And people wait for that. On social media, you see things like throwback Thursdays of the 50s and the 70s and the 90s and the 2000s. So here we are waiting, waiting. Welcome to the fourth Sunday in Advent. The candle was the angel candle. And when the angels came, they announced some incredible good news to a man and his wife about a child. We've been walking through Advent, <clears throat> and Advent comes from a Latin word, Adventus, means the coming. We anticipate, we wait for that time when Christ came, but he's coming again. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Lutheran minister who was involved with an assassination plot for Hitler and wrote the great book, The Cost of Discipleship, said this, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. Advent merely isn't, oh, we're getting ready for Christmas. Advent is the reminder that Christ is coming again. And this time, he won't be coming in a manger. Oh, no. He's coming back for us. Amen? This message is entitled, Emmanuel, the wait is over. God has come to earth. And it's located in time. I want to invite you to find a copy of the scriptures to Luke chapter 2. <clears throat> it's in the Pew Bible, 878. And this idea of time, once upon a time, the writer for the gospel of the book of Luke, Dr. Luke, uses very important language. Some things that seem small are really a big deal. And he wants us to get this idea of time. It's like he's saying it again and again, like, hey, gang, don't miss this. Don't miss this. I'm going to write down some specific things so that you know that these things really, really happened. Luke chapter 1. See that on page 878? It says, in that time. In what time? In that time when Herod, creepy Herod, was ruling in that time. See it in verse 10? When it was time, Zechariah was selected for the atonement. 
sacrifice in that time. You see it in verse 26? In the sixth month, a specific time, in Elizabeth's pregnancy, her second trimester, there was a meeting of Gabriel and Mary. In verse 39, at that time, Mary had a hurried departure. I don't know if she forgot to pack anything, but the Bible says that she hurried. Remember that? Six months of a new mommy, of an old new mommy when they met, and a newly pregnant young virgin mommy in that time when they met. Verse 57, when it was time, when Elizabeth was ready to, she's having the baby! And that news went throughout the small village. There was a specific due date in that time. In chapter 2, we read this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. And Caesar Augustus used his political power to fulfill a prophecy that said, the son of David would be born in this little tiny town called O Little Town of Bethlehem in that time. In that time, in verse 6, you see it came, the time came for the baby Jesus to be born. It was his due date. Now, just to be clear about this, Jesus took on flesh in that time. But he's always existed. He was with God and was God. He was always existing. And then verse 22, the time came for Jesus to be consecrated. And then you see it again in verse 41 in chapter 2 and then verse 3, 1. Why do we need to understand that? Why is this time so important? Because you need to understand time and the context of time and the time that had gone on when you read Luke chapter 2. What do I mean by that? First of all, we mean this, that Emmanuel, the wait is over. There had been a long long time and a long, long wait. How long? Great question. 400 years long. That's a long time. The Bible calls the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament the intertestamental period. The intertestamental period. Why do they call it that? There was a gap of 400... Years between what God had said and the beginnings of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 400 silent years, not to be ignored. That's a long time. And as you dig into that, there's all kinds of things that happened in those 400 years. But specifically, to oversimplify it, there were a couple dynamics that went on. First of all, political power. And rebellion, political power and rebellion. The politics of that day saw an incredible Greek empire that came into existence, followed by the expanse, the wide expanse of the Roman Empire. And of those two empires, people came to know two people specifically, and one we even know about today. The first one was Alexander the Great and his rule and reign during those 400 years. And the second one was the one that we go, Hail Caesar. He came up during that time. And during those 400 years, you've got to believe that people said, God, where are you? God, where are you? God, where are you? And in those 400 years, 
there was also rebellion. Rebellion amongst the Jewish people when they saw these political powers came into being. One of the most famous ones was a seven-year conflict called the Maccabean Revolt. It was a Jewish priest and his boys that for seven years were mercenaries and snipers. That's a long time, 400 years. The other one was a slave rebellion. And film and TV have, has captured this man known as Spartacus. All of that happened during these 400 years. God, where are you? And at the time of Luke chapter 2, there was another really creepy ruler by the name of Herod who extended his power. Yes, he expanded the temple, but his power was crushing. And God's people said, where are you? Where are you? Generation after generation after generation after graduating class after graduating class after gra graduating class. Never had a messenger. Never had a pre, never had a prophet. Never had a mighty king. Gone were the days of David's glory years. Gone were the days of Solomon's incredible splendor and favor. And you got to ask yourself the question, am I forgotten? Does God care? Does God hear me? He does. He does. The last word that we hear from the Old Testament was this. See, I will send the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of their parents to their children and the hearts of their children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with a total destruction. There would be a promise that there would be a prophet that would come, a unique prophet like no other prophet. In fact, Jesus actually said that. He said, greater, there's no one been greater on planet Earth than John. Imagine that. No greater prophet. We're talking Isaiah, Jeremiah, Moses. There would come one. Where, God, where are you? Where are you? Psalm 121 says, the Lord will never sleep nor will he slumber. Jesus' good friend Peter says in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient. The word Lord there means Yahweh. And as we learned last week, Yahweh is self-existing. Yahweh is the covenant name. Yahweh is the one who's not only descriptive, but he's personal. He's incredibly personal. You've got to understand time when you meet this family, this second family. You might wonder and ask the question, the second family of Advent, really? Is there really a second family of Advent? I mean, you don't see them in the, you don't see them in the manger scenes, do you? There's not a lot of ornaments of the second family. In fact, that's what one coach said. His name is uh, Coach Joe Mazzella. And he is the interim head basketball coach of the NBA Boston Celtics. On November 30th, the Boston Celtics hosted the Miami Heat in Boston at Boston Garden. And in attendance at that game was Prince William and Prince Kate Middleton of Wales. So Coach Missoula, at the post-game press conference, was asked a non-basketball question. Rich, I'm coming to that clip right now. The non-basketball question was asked by coach 
did you meet the royal family by chance? And his answer is classic. I wanted to share this with you. It's just great. Um, a non-basketball question. Did you get a chance to meet with the royal family? And if not, how was it like having them there in the building? Jesus, Mary, and Joseph? <laughs> the prince and princess of Wales. Oh, no, I did not. I'm only familiar with one royal family. I don't know too much about that one. Thank you. But I'm glad they're hopefully they're Celtic fans. If you didn't catch that, he said, I'm only really familiar with one royal family, Mary, Jesus, and Joseph. Wasn't that great? And you were laughing, but his last line was, I hope they're Celtic fans. Anyways, so I thought, that's fantastic. And maybe this morning you're thinking to yourself, wait a second, there's another holy family of Christmas? Yeah, there really is. Let me go back one slide. There really is. It's Zechariah. Elizabeth, and John the Baptizer. He would be the one that was prophesied in Malachi. And we read their story beginning in Luke chapter 2. And I'll ask you the question, what struck, struck you? So let's read in Jesus' name, beginning in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abja. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron, but both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very, very old. Now, let's just stop there for a second. What, what struck you about that? Anything stand out to you? Any of you notice that they were both old? That came up pretty clear. They had no children. Did you catch that? No one to take care of them when they were getting old. No one to watch over them. No one to pass on the family name. And did you also notice that the line, their descendants, their DNA, they were both priest kids, old PKs. And, and there's an interesting note that he was from the division of Ajina, Abja. Now Luke, when he drops details, the details are there for a reason. And if you dig in, you'll find out that there were 24 divisions total of other priests that were working there at Herod's temple. And in each division was 300 priests. So if you do the math, that's 7,200 priests on payroll. So it's very interesting that of the 7,200, this priest who was old and very ordinary, but also godly, got selected for a once-a-year sacrifice in the Holy of Holies called the Day of Atonement. And that was Zechariah. It would define his career. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You'll see in the scriptures that there were worshipers outside waiting. Maybe his wife was there. We don't know. But what you're reading and what you will read is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And oh man, it will be different and not what Zechariah expected. Let's continue to read. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, selected according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came... 
all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Details are important to Luke. And so as you're reading that, why would he mention about the right side and the altar of incense? Commentators, Bible commentators call the right side the side of propitiation or the side of favor, the side of goodwill. Peace on earth, good will to men. That's what we say. Standing there was the angel of the Lord, and we'll find out later that that angel of the Lord was Gabriel, who you have to assume that moments, of, moments before he showed up there, where was he? He was in the company of our Lord, wasn't he? And then the altar of incense. Why the altar of incense? Why does Luke put that in there? The altar of incense, Bible commentators say, represents the place where all of the prayers are offered and sacrificed and given for 400 years God's people have said, Lord, where are you? When are you going to move? When are you going to bring this Elijah prophet into being? Lord, how many thousands of prayers have our Father heard? And what drove me this week was this idea. Here is a godly man. Here is a godly woman. Your prayers have been heard. Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. Elizabeth, your prayers have been heard. Bob, your prayers have been heard. Trudy, your prayers have been heard. Amy, your prayers have been heard. Your prayers have been heard. Here's how they were heard. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. You think? But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John, which means God is gracious. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before them, before the Lord, in the spirit and the power of who? Of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Malachi 4 is coming, and it's your boy. Zechariah asked the Lord, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The best way to interpret that is, where is the proof? Wrong thing to say to an angel, apparently. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until this day happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. And meanwhile, meanwhile, at another time, during that time, 
The people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he couldn't speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them and he remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion and listened to her voice. This is her voice. She said, the Lord has done this for me. The Lord has done this for me. In these days, he's shown his favor and taken away my disgrace amongst the people. The word for disgrace means reproof. It means to suffer the loss of reputation. She was speaking personally and prophetically. A supernatural miracle had happened. And she, Elizabeth, was touched by God to conceive. Far beyond natural childbearing years. But God. But God heard her and he hears your prayers too. And so much more. I want to encourage you to write down something that I found really helpful in some summer reading that I did this summer. Had the opportunity to meet a lat, the, the, the late Latin American evangelist Luis Palau years ago. And Luis died a number of years ago and he wrote an autobiography before he died. So I had a chance to read his autobiography and he shared five ways that God hears and answers prayer. You'll want to write these down, I think. So grab a pen. I thought these were incredibly wise. How does God hear our prayers? Five ways, Luis. Powerful ministry around the world for over 50 years. He said one, God hears our prayers and answers. Yes, I thought you'd never ask. Yes, I thought you'd never ask. No, I love you too much. Yes, I thought you'd never ask. No, I love you too much. Yes, but not yet. Yes, but not yet. Number four, yes, and here's more. Yes, and here's more. And number five, yes, but not the way you think. Yes, but not the way you think. God heard Zachariah's prayers. God heard Elizabeth's prayers. And as the story continues in Luke chapter 1, you see Gabriel coming to Mary and giving her her good news. You see Mary and Elizabeth visit one another. This elderly lady with gray hair, now six months pregnant. And now this young mommy, this virgin mommy, this supernatural birth. Can you imagine their giggles? Can you imagine their conversations? Can you imagine what they talked about for those three months? Wow. Well, John the Baptist was eventually born, and we pick up the story in verse 57. When it came time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. You think? Small town. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, which means God remembers. It would have fit little Z. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. God is gracious. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. And then they, they made signs. Can you see them? Apparently, he was also deaf. Not only dumb, he couldn't speak. But he was deaf as well, too. So they're making signs to him to find out what they should call the child. And he asked for a writing tablet. And everyone's astonishment 
He wrote too. His name is John. God is gracious. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea were talking about all these things. And you thought going viral is something new. Not a chance. Everyone who heard this wondered about it asking, When is this child going to be? What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. So Zechariah has a song. He's got to put this into a song. And the key verse in that psalm is verse 70s. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago. This isn't something new. And Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all three of their ladies, were all barren and all old and didn't have a child. And God had to do a supernatural thing. God remembered his promise. God remembered his promise. God remembered his promise. And now, Zechariah was listening. You've heard this before. You might, be, you might be hearing me, but are you listening to me? Are you, you might be hearing me, but are you listening to me? Something that's really helpful when I visit with people is, and, and I've used this a lot, and if I've used it with you, it just helps me to communicate, is what'd you hear me say? What'd you hear me say? I learned this week the song, Do You Hear What I Hear? Do You Hear What I Hear? It was written in 1962. It was written by a couple as a plea for peace during the Cuban Missile Crisis. I didn't know that. Years later, the husband and wife team could never admitted that they could never personally perform the entire song of Who you know, Do You Hear What I Hear? Because their emotions were just under the surface. They, the, the Cuban Missile Crisis was something always on their mind, and they realized, you must realize, that it was a time of war. When the promised sons were born, the world ch changed. A silent night, a holy night, a beautiful night became a violent night, and it looked calm, but now there was a fight. You see the virgin and that child, they're holy now, but there will be an attempted brutal assault by Herod himself. We sing sleep in heavenly peace, but we need to know that he will be crucified in order that we might have peace. Prophetically, the Apostle John writes in Revelation chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, he says this, prophetic language. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, meaning Mary, so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up by God into his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God. There was a fight. As the two mothers met, wonder if they said, I think God is turning the world upside down. He's remembered the promise which he made to our ancestors, to Abraham's descendants. And the wait was over. The wait was over when the two boys met, two sons and two cousins, six months apart. Some scholars think that in Luke chapter 241, where it says that Jesus and his parents went to Jerusalem as a yearly custom, that on the way, Jesus and his family stayed with Zechariah and Elizabeth and John. Good scholarship says they probably knew each other quite well. So what was their relationship like? What was their relationship like? 
These are some of the interactions that we see in the book of John and the book of Matthew when John the Baptist saw Jesus for the very first time publicly. He said, behold, the Lamb of God. This is the Lamb of God. This is the sacrifice that will take away the sins of the world. John also said in John 3.30 about Jesus, he must increase and I decrease. In fact, some of his disciples, Andrew specifically being one we know, was once John's disciple and became Jesus' disciple. In Matthew chapter 11, probably the most, in, most that we know of their interaction, or at least that's documented in the Gospels, John the Baptist has been arrested. He's in prison, and he is wondering why Jesus is not acting like a king who would change things. And so he asks, are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the one that we've come to expect? Are you the one? Jesus, through his disciples, say, tell John what you see. Tell John what you see. And he says, and this is what Jesus says, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. None is greater than John the Baptist. He's the one we've been waiting for. And I would be remiss for us before we take communion to not quote the words of John the Baptist, that when you take this meal, do what John's ministry was all about, preparing, repent and believe. That's it. Three words in his ministry, repent and believe, preparing us for this meal. No one deserves this meal. We come to it in humility and humbleness and saying, God, you know what my week has been like. You know my thoughts. I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. I don't deserve this meal. I receive this meal because of grace. I receive this meal crying out to Jesus. I receive this meal saying, God, have mercy on me. That was John's ministry, to get us ready, to get us ready. He served as a, as a hinge, if you will, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he would point to this meal saying, this is the new covenant. So I invite you before we receive the elements and we sing, just to bow your head, to close your eyes, to confess your sins to the one who knows your heart, to confess your sins and ask for his mercy. And he is promised in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us, to purify us from all unrighteousness. Lord, humbly, you've heard us confess our sins. You made a promise in Matthew 11, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. And then this beautiful promise that you love the world so much, your father loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world and through him. So Father, we love you and we thank you. We ask now that you would come meet us in this meal. Amen. I want to invite you to stand if you are able. And together we'll say the words of the Apostles' Creed. Once again, the creed stands, has been the backbone of what believers hold on to as what is essential to be a follower of Christ. And I invite you to say that with me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. 
I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. For there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he said, gave thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one loaf. We who are many are one body, for we all share in that one loaf. Please have a seat. Once again, just a few instructions. If you're a guest this morning, we're delighted that you're here. This meal is for broken people. This is for people who need the forgiveness of God Almighty. If you're a follower and a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ and he's died on the cross for your sins, this meal is open and available for you. Once again, we ask that you would come to the different stations. They're here. There's some in the back, some up front here, obviously. We'd ask that you come, and we'll take all the elements together. There is a gluten-free wafer here as well. And if you'd like to join my friend Jen and Karen as we sing the song, you're welcome to do that. If you'd just like to listen to the hymn as well, you're welcome to do that as well too. Okay, friends? Welcome to our Father's table. It's for broken people like us. Come.